And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. It's really a pleasure to come your way here on this program to talk about the various things that we do. Uh, a recurring theme seems to be uh, that of, uh, so to speak, the feminine energy or females, uh, women in our population, in our societies. That's our, that's our conversation for today. And it's going to uh, be around... Uh, uh, a work that our guest uh, Simon T. Bailey has written called Ignite the Power of Women in Your Life. It's a guide for men. I will tell you, Simon, first of all, thank you so much for being with us on the program today. Thank you for having me. So good to be with you. Uh, the other thing, too, is this is a subject that's come up time and time again, and I sit here thinking, is this, uh, should I be, I mean, I should get uh, my female counterpart, if I had one, in here to talk about this. <laughs> but in this case, in this case, yes, yes. <laughs> it, it, it's appropriate that I'm here uh, to talk with you about this, because this is a guide for men. Most of the books that are written about uh, women in our society and so forth are for women. And, uh, and yet we have a good conversation in that regard, but this time we're going to be able to talk to it from a male perspective. First of all, let me say that uh, I remember Tim Allen's uh, comedy routines, I think it was of the 80s and early 90s, uh, before he got his TV show, uh, where he talked about, you know, men are pigs, <laughs> and so forth, and about guys getting together and so forth, and he was accused of being anti-woman, which was... I didn't get that, and that was so far from the truth. What he was saying, and kind of what we're saying here, but in a little different context, guys need to get together with guys from time to time, just as women need to get together with women from time to time, then bring those experiences and that energy together uh, in, in their respective relationships, and that sort of enriches that relationship. Uh, so we're not talking about uh, uh, anti-anything. We're talking about, you know, in this case, pro-woman. And I'm curious as to, first of all, your background, not so much in the subject, but your background growing up. I mean, how many brothers and or sisters did you have in your family? Three brothers, no sisters, and a, a father figure that was very dominant and strong and present. Okay, so did that have any influence whatsoever on where you are today here with us talking about uh, igniting that uh, energy in women? Absolutely. Uh, my two older brothers uh, were really impacted positively by our dad. Uh, our dad was a hard worker, taught us uh, work ethic, taught us how to respect each other, but more importantly, uh, taught us how to take care of a woman. And really be mindful and intentional about it. Well, I grew up with four sisters and one brother, and a very okay. present, very present mother and father. Uh, not domineering by any stretch. They were disciplinarians, but they weren't uh, uh, what you might see in some of these movies or TV shows. Uh, and we got the belt a few times, uh, but um, uh, for the most part, uh, they they really taught us by example. And I'll be honest with you. I can't remember them ever fighting or, for that matter, really having any major arguments. And I don't know it was because intentionally they would not do that in front of us. But I just don't remember it, you know. Uh, it, was, it was very interesting. And um, so I'm, I'm just wondering if, in your case, uh, uh, you know, it sounds to me like your father was, you know, uh, quite domineering in that respect. I mean, he played the father role to the hilt, it sounds like. Yeah, he did. And it's so interesting you make the statement about did my parents ever argue? I don't remember them arguing. And if they did, it was behind closed doors yeah. and they never let us see it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I don't even have a context of what an argument would look like, you know, for them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. So um, when we talk about this, I, I come from the perspective, as my experience with uh, the women that I've had in my life, not so much my sisters or my mother, because they all are, at least from, again, from my experience, maybe uh, in private they're different, they are all 
very uh, powerful women, not domineering. There's a big difference between that and a powerful woman. They all seem to have a very high level of self-confidence, not narcissism, not egotism, self-confidence. But then everybody outside my family that I come across, not all, but there are a few that, um, well, let me put it this way. My wife and I were driving in the car. This is my second wife. We were driving in the truck, and she turns to me, and she asked me a question that you probably wouldn't answer if your wife asked you this question unless you had context. So, Richard, um, if there was anything about me you would change, what would it be? And I'm going. That's a set up question. <laughs> I'm not going there. I feel landmines everywhere. She kind of sensed my timidity. So she says, mm-hmm. well, if there was one thing that I would change about you, and she told me, and it was very nice, it may have been uh, to restore the vision that I used to have in my left eye. Because I don't have any vision. I'm blind in the left eye due to glaucoma. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, okay, I get it. So my comment to her was, if there was one thing I could change, and that would be to increase the le- your level of confidence in yourself. Mm. And I say that to any woman who doesn't have that kind of self-confidence, that reassurance. Is that sort of the main focal point of this book is uh, to teach women or to teach men how to help women? Obviously, the woman has to do it herself. Is that what you're talking about, though, in terms of igniting the power Yes. And also giving men tools on how to strengthen their relationships with themselves and the women in their life. Um, So specific examples around conversations, uh, encouragement, uh, and just character. Uh, Those are some of the areas where I failed and I learned the hard way. So in addition to boosting a woman's confidence, really showing her that you get her by how you show up in the world. What about the stereotypes that still exist? We see them in television programs and movies where you've got the bumbling dad, da, 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 oh, I'm, uh, you know, and, the, and he's not really given much respect. Uh, and the domineering woman, you know, who basically, as you see, she's always calling the shots, but they're both trying to get one up on the other. Now, there's no teamwork, it's two teams almost fighting against each other. That seems to me to be really counterproductive. Do you see that in real life? Do you see that in some relationships? I do. There are alpha females that exist and there are beta males. And sometimes society promotes this alpha female over the beta male. But healthy relationships, each party knows how to play their role. So when it's time for the alpha male to come forth and do what he needs to do, then the alpha female goes into beta mode because she recognizes and they have like a dance in their relationship. They understand who is the best to make a decision or to move forward. But it takes a lot of conversation, a lot of communication, a lot of trust to get to that point to not run each other over. Uh, My wife is an alpha female, but she knows that I'm an alpha male and sometimes she backs, she steps to the side so that I can step forward. I step to the side so that she can step forward. And it's all good. This is a very interesting uh, dynamic that exists, these, these relationships. And I'm personally, I, I am so, uh, I've been through two marriages. Well, I shouldn't say been through. I've been through one, divorced, and now I'm in the second and uh, matter of fact, uh, the 21st of this uh, of December, 21st of December, 2022, a lot of twos in there. We actually celebrate. Oh, another two. Our 22nd, our 20, 20th, 20th wedding anniversary. Um, and it hasn't been, you know, uh, that easy. It hasn't been that hard. It is. I look at it this way. It is what it is. Uh, I think that my wife would be considered an alpha female as well. And I think there are times 
when I'm the beta male because I'm not sure how to respond, let alone how I should respond so as to de-escalate any drama that's starting to take place, which I, I just can't stand. I just don't like the drama. Mm-hmm. 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 And, and so yes. I'm wondering if maybe that's another message that's getting out uh, uh, in, in the stereotypical aspects that the man will acquiesce, become the beta male, in order to avoid yes. the conflict. To a, to a, 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 and, and again, we've seen this countless times where, you know, uh, uh, there's this conversation going on and he knows he's, you know, there's no way he's going to win this argument or this dialogue, whatever it is. And so he's, okay, you, you know, it's yours, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, you know. And I'm, I'm, I just sit there going... Where's the team? Where's the partnership? Yes. Yeah. I've been through uh, a marriage. I was married for 25 years, went through a divorce. I'm on my, my second marriage. And there have been times when I've been the beta male because I did not want to confront. And instead of standing up to really address something, I would go the opposite direction. And, and I've learned that the hard way. And for me, I went to therapy. And my therapist introduced me, obviously, to fight or flight. And she said, this is a reoccurring pattern. When you show up, you fly. You fly away. You go in your cave. You shut down. You don't want to talk it out. And I'm like, no. But she said, there are times when you have to fight and have a conversation and find a middle ground and a way forward. And that's probably one of the big things that I've had to learn that what's the way forward. Mm. We're going to talk about that. Simon uh, Simon T. Bailey is my guest. And, uh, of course, we're talking about his book and the work that he's doing uh, in the area of, and this is the title, of uh, Ignite the Power of Women in Your Life. It's a guide for men as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's really a pleasure to have Simon T. Bailey here on the program. Simon, I want to ask you um, about... uh, um, your epiphany. Uh, I'm curious as to the relationship you had with your daughter versus the relationship you have with your daughter based upon this epiphany. Yeah. So my daughter came into my home office one day and I sensed she wanted to talk, but I was emotionally unavailable. And she said, hi, daddy. I said, hey, baby girl. She sat down in a chair and I was doing something and she, a few minutes later, she said, dad, well, I see you're busy. I'll just come back later. And I said, okay, we never really talked or said anything. And it hit me the next day when I was on the plane that, oh my goodness, my daughter really wanted to talk to me. So I came back home uh, from my trip and I said, Madison, you wanted to talk to me the other day. And she said, no, dad, it's okay. I said, no, it's not okay. Because if I don't change my behavior, you're going to marry a joker just like me. And her mother said to me uh, in that same instance as she was observing the conversation, she said, you give everybody the best of you, but you give us the rest of you. And I don't want the leftovers anymore. So my epiphany was I was emotionally unavailable to my daughter, her mother, and I was modeling something for my son who was observing all of this. So after 25 years of being married, I built a house but lost a home. I was chasing money but had no meaning. I was pursuing power but had no purpose. And and I lost it. And so where the relationship is today with my daughter, it's one day at a time. Uh, At times, I think she she works on the divorce dad guilt and and uses that. (laughs) Uh, when she can. But for the most part, because of me going to therapy and me extending the olive branch and over communicating, we are in a much better place today than we were six, seven years ago. How about with your wife before and after? Yeah. So with with my ex-wife, her mother, we have a very cordial relationship via text. So okay. <laughs> she, she gets her alimony. She's happy. 
And if there's something that relates to our two young adult children, uh, we'll text or we have to get on the phone. So like both of our kids are in college. So we've had to move them in and out of dorms. And that's about the only time we really see each other. It's cordial. It's respectful. I've never thrown her under the bus uh, in front of the kids. I've never said anything evil towards her because I'll never forget the day I I signed my divorce papers. I was at a restaurant, ran into a buddy of mine, and he had been married for 39 years. And he said to me, Simon, whatever you do, pay your alimony and child support with joy. And I looked at him like he had four horns coming out of his head. (laughs) But he said, he said, trust me, just just do it with joy. And when you get on the other side of it, you'll be a better man uh, as a result. And it was probably the best advice I ever got from a man to just do it with joy. Suck it up, buttercup, write the check, be kind and keep moving forward. Uh, and I would, uh, matter of fact, the thought that went through my mind when, when he said that to you, as you shared it with us, was uh, do it with joy because, especially with the child support, because of your daughter in the, in the reference of the child yes. support. Okay. But yes. also the alimony yes. to, your, to your ex-wife because she, along with you, brought this beautiful child into the world. So uh, I, I think that was, uh, again, some very, very good advice. I didn't, get, I didn't get alimony or child support or anything like that that I had to pay. First of all, we had no children. And second of all, it's a community property state in Arizona. So it was a split, and uh, I was, uh, you know, on my way. Um, we're talking with Simon T. Bailey, and uh, we're talking about igniting the power of women in your life. This is a... This is a men's guide, and we certainly hope, uh, or a guide for men, and we hope that you will get yourself a copy of said book, the website where we can send people to, Simon, that will uh, get people involved more in uh, what we'll talk in a little bit about this movement uh, that we're we're discussing, where where we want to send them. Ignitethepowerofwomen.com. All right, title of the book. That's also the website with a dot com, ignitethepowerofwomen.com. And we are here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's a pleasure to have Simon T. Bailey on the program. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to ask the question, and, and I'm, uh, I'm just curious from your perspective how different, or maybe it's not, between igniting the power of white women versus women of color so that I can cover all of the bases here because we're mm-hmm. hearing this mm-hmm. conversation about, mm-hmm. I, I, if I can put it this way, race relations and so on and so forth. Yes. Um, I've seen the different types of parenting that go on as well as relationships. Again, unfortunately, in movies and television, which I know is not accurate. So what about your experiences, not only as a black man, but mm-hmm. also in terms of the work that you're doing in relating with other men and women of the various colors, Caucasian, etc. Is there that much difference or is it basically all the same? And it's the movies and television that put the, ba- the difference in. There is a distinct difference, and I can speak to this from a couple of different aspects. From a black female perspective, um, I have observed black women in my family who have had to be the mother and the father uh, in, in raising children because of an absentee father. And that's just very real in the black culture. Um, not all, but, but, but most of, of what I've seen just in, in my family. And I have witnessed very strong women who have raised amazing uh, young men and young women to be better human beings, to not uh, feel sorry because they did not have a two-parent household. Uh, and they have, uh, these Black women have been, uh, uh, they have been resilient, they have persevered, they have uh, been the providers of the household, and they have got it done, and they have not complained. Uh, because black women uh, tend to say that God uh, is their everything and God gives them the strength to do what they do. 
Now, from a white woman perspective, my wife is actually white and she's from Pittsburgh. And what I have seen as it relates to her, she grew up in a broken household. So her parents divorced early on. She was raised by her grandparents and her grandparents kind of shaped who she is today, uh, but became she became estranged from her grandparents once she decided that she would pursue a relationship with uh, a person outside of her ethnicity. Uh, so what she uh, came through is she had a, a family system, even though things didn't work out with her grandparents, but other family members that took her in and uh, life was okay for her. It was, uh, she had a, a shot, a chance. Uh, she didn't have to go through as many struggles of discrimination that black women have gone through. So, uh, and, and she understands her white privilege uh, and that it's brought her certain things in life that black women didn't have. So I kind of see it from both angles and I understand it um, from both of their perspectives. We're talking with Simon T. Bailey, Ignite the Power of Women in Your Life, IgniteThePowerOfWomenInYourLife.com, and the book, A Guide for Men. The book is, uh, well, the book is also a snapshot of a, a leader at a Fortune 500 company who had everything, the car, the house, as he mentioned, uh, money without meaning, the children in private schools, and the trophy wife, and Lost it all, and um, uh, it was in listening to the women in his life that he he regained everything that was meaningful to him. That doesn't necessarily mean, folks, that he regained the car, the house, <laughs> the children in private school, and the trophy wife. Uh, we're going to talk more about uh, the important things that he did regain as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're talking with Simon T. Bailey about his work, Igniting the Power, Ignite the Power of Women in Your Life, a guide for men. And uh, I'm very grateful for this opportunity to talk with you because we're, if we, as you, had that epiphany that you described earlier, if each one of us would have a similar epiphany about who we are as men and become more conscious of being the best man that we can be, uh, that would, I think, go a long way to uh, facilitate helping women to, uh, if they don't already have it, um, increase their level of self-confidence, their confidence in themselves. Do you think that it's... Um, healthy to have both a male and female alpha um, and if so how how do you how do you balance all of that out so that nobody gets shortchanged and nobody uh, sort of I don't know what the right word is here uh, so to speak takes takes control takes the reins and runs away with it I think you need both alphas and betas in any relationship. And I think from what I've seen in my relationship with my, my second wife, it comes down to respect. How do I respect where you have strengths and I have weaknesses? I think after respect, it comes down to intentionality about here's what I am observing real time. This just happened. You said this, this went off the rails. Can we talk about it? And you take that moment to unpack. Don't allow things to, to accelerate and become more than what they should be. I tend to make the mistake, Richard, where I live a lot in my head, and I'll make up a story about something that was totally off in left field. So I've had to step back and say, hey, here's what I heard you say. Is this what you meant? And it's that intentionality unpacked what just happened. I think the third thing is we are a blended family. So now I have three daughters and one son. So I've kind of brought my two children. She's brought her two daughters. They're from 20 to 27. And we're first-time grandparents. And we're having to understand how to uh, manage the dynamics of a blended family. Um, this is the way I raise my kids. This is the way you raise your kids. Okay, hold on. I don't agree. So I've had to kind of pick my battles 
and step back, bite my tongue. But then there are some times when I've spoken up and said, I don't agree. Uh, and, and she'll say, okay, you're right. Uh, so it's just really that balance of what makes sense because we want to build a healthy relationship because we, you know, we're in our 50s now and we're not trying to get divorced again. <laughs> right, right. Well, so I, let's, work, let's work through it. Yeah, well, I was, uh, what was it? Uh, I was 38 when I was served with papers on the 1st of May, which, and I made this joke on that day, by the way, gave a whole new meaning to the term Mayday. Uh, <laughs> and um, a divorce went through in January of uh, 1999. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's not fun. Um, my present wife went through her divorce after I went through mine, hers took a couple of months and like 125 to maybe 200 bucks because they worked together, negotiated and so on and so forth. Whereas my wife and I, we both had attorneys, although um, my attorney had a beautiful slogan, reasonable solutions for reasonable people. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. my wife, my ex-wife's attorney was not reasonable. He was uh, he was a shark, and he was going to try. And I I don't blame him. I mean you know, uh, but he tried to get me uh, caught up on uh, alimony or uh, spousal support, as I guess they call it in Arizona. Anyway, uh, it was it was not fun for anybody. And um, you know there are times when gee I wish we hadn't had to do that. I wish there had been another way. Um, but I do remember something that she said to me in, in our first meeting together uh, when I came in by myself, no attorney. She says, but you promised, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I says, when you got an attorney, you changed all the rules. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, it took me from May mm-hmm. 1st to June 1st to get out of my emotions. Do you find that a lot of men who are in uh I'll call them trauma-drama relationships. They're not going through divorce. They're not necessarily going to split up. But it seems like every time he turns around, there's more drama in the relationship. It's like, oh, God, I don't know if I want to go home tonight because I know what I'm facing. Uh, Or if he made a decision or he did something that... um, Actually, let me come at it from a different perspective. Do you think that men are starting to listen more to their intuition uh, so as not to have to deal with the trauma drama uh, of, of going home? Do you think that's a benefit in that regard? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think more guys are waking up to the fact to paying attention to their gut. What's their gut feel? And they're going with it instead of just overthinking things, but being really tuned into What's happening here real time? Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, I am uh, I am a man who is, and I will tell you, I've shared this on the program before, that I have written a song. Uh, it's actually my second song only because the first song I wrote was back in the, in the 90s uh, after going through a personal growth program. But this current song is sort of... Um, uh, was was inspired. As a matter of fact, the first line of the song was inspired by my present wife. Uh, we were talking in the truck, and she turns to me. She puts her hand on my shoulder, rubs my arm, and she says, Richard, you're a good man. You're a good man. And I didn't know exactly what it was that I did to deserve the nice compliment, but that's the title of my song that it basically goes, I'm a good man doing the best I can. Where I'm going Mm. is where I'm coming from. Now, where I'm going, Mm. where I come from is, and there's a verse in the song that is an homage to my parents and the way they raised me. Mm -hmm. That's what's referred to in that line. Where I'm going is where I'm coming from. The lessons my parents taught me, my father taught me about... Um, uh, best way to put it is my wife's sister, when she was alive, uh, she made a comment to me after I uh, went to the car, opened the door for my wife. She gets in and I close the door for her. 
And her sister says to me, boy, your mother raised you right. Now, that's out of respect for her. I want to be kind and so forth. And I don't know. Is 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 chivalry dead? And is no, that and is no that part way. of is <laughs> and is that part of the, the 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 aspect of empowering women? Absolutely. When a woman connects with a guy who understands opening the door, uh, standing up when she comes to the table, not only just taking care of the bill, but being kind to the wait staff and being kind to her, that's chivalry is timeless. That will be here forever. That ignites a woman because a man is moved by words, but um, a man is moved by sight, but women are moved by words and deeds and acts of respect. Mm-hmm. That sticks out. So chivalry by and wool. Well, now, what about this aspect? And I don't know. Maybe this is stereotypical. I don't know. And I'm not sure if this is just Western society or if this transcends the globe uh, in terms of chivalry. And is that, do you think that that is just a part of the nature of men and women, it's not really something that's necessarily taught. And I'm not going to say that my father didn't teach me those things because I learned from him. But do you think that may be innate, maybe in our DNA a little bit, if we tap into it? I think it's there, but I think more importantly, it's caught. How men learn how to treat women is based on how they've seen their dad present or not present treat women. Mm. Uh, also can catch from other men what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. Uh, and quick studies, we, we learn very quickly. So I think the, the, the ability within each human being to do the right thing, to respect another human being, that's there. And that seed is watered when we watch others. Mm. Very interesting. Um, I remember having an experience with my first wife where we were, um, I look at it as humorous now. I, I know that we didn't and she didn't at the time. We bicycled everywhere on a tandem, a bicycle built for two. That's how we got around. And um, normally what would happen is I would walk her over. I should preface this by saying my, my first wife was totally blind. So I would walk her around to the side of the uh, bicycle, the tandem, and I'd put her hands on the handlebars. She would always, obviously she would be in back. <laughs> and uh, I would wait for her to get on before I would hop up on the seat and we would start pedaling. Well, once one time I thought she was on and she hadn't gotten on and I started going forward and uh, I can't now I can't even remember if she fell or it was she just uh, struggled to stay up with the bicycle. Anyway, I finally stopped. We didn't go that far, you know, and I'm oh, I am so sorry. I thought you were already on. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, you know. Um, but I was uh, obviously in that instance, I was always careful and respectful to make sure that she was safe and and so forth. And uh, obviously would would. Uh, open the doors if she was with her guide dog or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. But with my, with my present wife, and now I drive, she usually lets me drive. I always tell, look, if you want the truck, if you want to drive, hey, I will let you drive. But she apparently likes it that I'm driving, and that's fine. So I go around, <laughs> and I open the door on the passenger side for her, get her in. She's in. Okay, I'm going to close the door. And uh, then I get in and, and then off we go. And it's just and like you say, it is those little things. And I'd like to think that it's it's less uh, of a societal thing and more more genetics, more in the DNA. But also, yes, environment around us of parents teaching us these kinds of things. Um, I'm trying to figure out what my parents taught my brother and I because he both and I he and I both. <laughs> He's been divorced twice. He's been divorced twice. I've only been divorced once. Uh, not that we're keeping score, but it's just rather interesting. Whereas my sisters, <laughs> they are all still with their first husbands. And I have wow. not only do wow. I have nieces wow. and nephews, but I have a grandniece and nephew 
just kind of cool. Uh, you say your grandparents. Nice. How much of an influence do you think you, as the grandfather, uh, the elder of the tribe, so to speak, which is kind of cool in a way, mm-hmm. um, how mm-hmm. much influence do you think you have? Do you get a chance to spend much time with the grandkids? We do. Yeah, we do. I get a chance to who's one. I see that we're already having her. I read to her. I have my own set of books that I like to read to her uh, intentionally. And uh, it's been very healthy, I think, for both of us. I didn't really know there was room in my heart for this little young girl who's only one. <laughs> but she has just got her grandfather around her finger already. Mm. What kind of books do you read to? You say you read to her from books, uh, intentional books that you've chosen. Yeah, so I've gone to Barnes & Noble Bookstore, picked up books on confidence, self-esteem, uh, self-concept, uh, books, you know, written for her age. And I'll show her pictures of little girls that look like her. And I take time to pronounce the words because all the research says um, from zero to four, children are like sponges and they absorb so much. So I'm being intentional as a father figure, as a grandfather, obviously, to allow her mind to be shaped with positive actions and she can become before society gets a hold of her. And as you know, uh, they come out of the womb now and they're already digital uh, natives. Uh, they're, They're already playing around on these devices. So I wanna make sure that I pass on to her values of who she, who she can become. Mm. Wow. Uh, that, that's very powerful to know that you have, you have that capacity, that capability to do that for a child. Um, you know, it's, you know, and, and I remember back in the 80s and 90s going through these personal growth programs. I still remember the first time I thought this. I looked mm-hmm. around the room of my first personal growth program and I'm going, God, because I'd been reading self-help for quite some time up to that point. I'm going, when are these people going to get it? And, mm-hmm. and it was, it mm-hmm. took me a little while to realize that, oh yeah, I'm in the room too. <laughs> 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 so, you know, it's like, yes. oops, yes. you know, yes. uh, but, yes. but I, I went yes. through these programs. It was a great learning experience. How about you? Have you had any, Let's put it in this context. Any formal kind of, aside from therapy, aside from therapy, ever go through any personal growth programs, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing? Oh, yes. I've gone through Landmark Form, and I'm a big reader. I've got like two to three books that I'm reading right now. Uh, I have have had the fortunate opportunity to be mentored by Dr. Dennis Waitley, who wrote The Psychology of Winning. Uh, I've met Dr. Waitley personally. And, uh, yeah, I am just a personal development junkie in the most healthy way. (laughs) Yeah. I have a cassette tape series from Nightingale Conant of Dennis Waitley's. Yes. I still have those tapes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And you have to say tapes in this digital era. (laughs) That is correct. You're absolutely right. Uh, There was also another gentleman you may be familiar with um, who... I was introduced to by my parents. I thought he was just the neatest guy. And again, I have some of his tapes as well. Doctor, he was referred to as the love doctor. You know who I'm talking about? Dr. Leo Buscaglia. Oh, I've heard the name, but never have I read his material. Wow. I think one of my favorite stories that he told uh, was where his mother uh, was lying in a hospital room and, you know, and, and, you know, there he is, he's tearing up and, and she says, what are you crying for? And he said, well, you know, you're, you know, he says, I, she says, I haven't left yet, you know, and, uh, mm. same kind of thing where the family is over in the corner, they're chatting away going, oh, what are we going to do? Da, 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 da. And she yells out, Hey, what are you doing? I'm not dead yet. <laughs> but he told some great stories about, about mm. love and mm. what it takes and how, how that feels. Um, there was also um, a, 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 a tape series that I 
I collected um, of a, it was called the Maximum Marriage Series. I wish I could remember uh, the gentleman's name who put it together. I heard about him uh, in the last 20 years that he actually had divorced, which I thought was a little ironic considering his program. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't undermine any of what I had learned from him. Uh, but sure, he sure. talked about this one instance, uh, and I want to address this a little bit. Uh, from the standpoint of men and women and emotions where he's got these this couple in the room and they're talking, he's asking questions, and the woman is just berating the husband. Just uh, He is just the worst, this, that, the other thing. And the husband is over there in his chair and he's just kind of crouched down and tears are streaming down his face. <clears throat> and uh, so uh, the doctor, the, 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 I guess he was a pastor, I can't remember now, therapist, he, uh, he says, uh, you want to know how to fix the marriage? He's addressing the two of them now. He says, I will tell you. He says, you want to know who has to start to fix the marriage? And he looked at the two of them. He says, you do. You don't wait for him and you don't wait for her. You start. Which, uh, again, it, it, it brings it back to, to teamwork. Do you find that those kinds of challenges where you go to marriage counseling, uh, mar a therapy and so forth, um, and I don't know if you've been through marriage counseling. I know that you've, you, you've gone through your own personal counseling and therapy. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Do you find that, that there are good therapists out there who are genuinely interested in the betterment of the relationship as opposed to, uh, shall we say, a particular agenda. This is the way it's got to be. Yeah. So, yes, there are great therapists out there. I found a great therapist who was very proactive uh, in helping me, but we also did go to marriage counseling and uh, in my with my first marriage. And what we discovered, we were so far gone that we both did not want to put the work in it after 25 years to try to save the marriage. Uh, and so we thought it was probably in our best interest. I was the one that filed and, and had her serve. Uh, it was just in our best interest at that point to move forward apart. But it was the marriage counselor who gave us all the tools, but we had to do the work, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and we did the work for a moment and then it fizzled out. And that's when I knew that we had experienced death by a thousand cuts. And this was the beginning of the end. Do you think that there are times where relationships need to die a natural death, so to speak? Hopefully cordial. You but, know, it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's <laughs> you over. Know, it's it's, you say that. Yeah. Uh, I think it all depends on situational awareness. And what I mean by situational awareness, everybody's uh, situation is different. Um, there are those who might be listening who are Christians who say, according to the Bible, they shouldn't get divorced, right? Uh, there are those who come from other beliefs and uh, other aspects of society, you know? It all depends on your situation, and you have to make the best decision for you. I remember interviewing a couple about marriage, uh, they were coming from the, the Christian philosophy. And I said, okay, uh, what is a marriage? And I don't mean the long-term 10, 20, 30-year thing. I'm talking about mm -hmm. uh, uh, at the, 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 the moment when the two decide they want to spend their lives together, or in some cases, a period of, a period of time together. I said, um, who officiated at the first one? Okay, which would have been maybe supposedly Adam and Eve um, and so forth. But the reason I bring that up is because I had a, a situation uh, where one woman, she was having all kinds of challenges with her husband at the time. And, and we were talking and I said, well, from my observation, you don't even have a marriage. You know, you don't even have a marriage because... He's not there. He's he's doing this, that, and the other thing, you know, and so forth. So you really, you don't have that relationship. Well, and that's kind of what happened in my first marriage, um, that we did not have the elements 
that I thought should be there. And I understood the reason why mm -hmm. she couldn't bring those elements to the table because she had no points of reference. But I was only able to last an additional five of the 15, the last five years, um, you know, not having those, that, that element in our relationship. And I sure as heck wanted it. But it just got to a point where I just I threw up my hands and said, look, I may be an intelligent guy and I may have found a way to make this work for a while. But it's not sustainable. You know, it's just it's just not. So um, that's why I kind of asked that question, because in spite of what you hear, no matter what, you stay together. You know, I mean, my sister who yes. passed away last March, she was married for 40 years. I couldn't believe that. 40 years. I'm 62. You were married. <laughs> wow. Um, sure, sure. When when uh, situations crop up in a relationship, and now we're we're going to talk again, continuing to to ignite the power of uh, women in our lives, in your life, as the book is uh, states. Illness, in particular, comes it comes into mind. And especially as we get older. I mean, you're a grandfather now, of course. I don't know. You could be 40, for all I know, and still a grandfather. I've heard of some 30-year-old grandmothers. Although, that then you start to question, uh, when did you have your child? Anyway, my, my uh, second wife, uh, she had a rare form of cancer uh, 21 years ago. Now, she's still alive, and she's free, been free and clear of it ever since, and, and you know, and so forth. I didn't sign on to be a caretaker. I don't say that because I was going to split, but because I had no idea what to do. I mean, other than to be there and so forth. And um, and then, of course, subsequently, you know, as we've lived together for, for the last 20 years, she's had different issues that have come up. And I'm there. You know, I'm, I'm there to the best of my ability. Those kinds of situations, though, are those opportunities do you think to again if if you're there you're present and so forth does that help to maintain or help to continue to ignite the power uh in the woman in your life in that respect even though she's going through whatever she's going through uh don't assume she's not aware right Yes, because when you marry or in a relationship and you experience sickness, you shift from being self-centered to self-compassionate. That example I can give you, though this is a movie reference, if you remember James Garner in the movie The Notebook, he showed up every single day to read to Ellie and Ellie, her memory was going. She was suffering, obviously, from dementia. But he would read to her. And, and there were days when she didn't know his name. And she would ask, who are these children that came around? And the children, when they got James Garner by himself, he would say, I'm still going to show up. I still love her. And you remember at the end of the movie, they both died on the same day, lying next to each other in the bed. Because love is not what it says, it's what it does. It's it, how it, it shows up. Loving and cherishing someone is making yourself experience inconvenience. It's not convenient to take care of someone who is experiencing sickness. And to the degree that you're willing to become inconvenient shows your level of humanity and care and respect and compassion and you move from loving to cherishing this human being. You know, that's one of the things that, that I asked one of our guests on this program. You know, what, yeah, we could, go, we could look in Corinthians and we could read the list of what love is. Uh, but there have been those moments uh, that I sit there and question w whether I love this person. And yet I continue to do all of the things that I like to think express that love that I have for that person. It's like the mind. The mind doubts. And yet the actions continue to continue to flow forward. And I'm wondering what that is. Have you ever had that happen? 
Totally. And I think what it is, you move beyond your humanity to understand how I serve this individual, not because of what I can get, but because of what I give. And research says that when you help someone else intentionally, not looking for anything in return, the reward centers in our brain begin to light up almost as if we are on the receiving end of the act of kindness that we have given, and they call it the helper's high. So Richard, I'm just trying to stay high and get high often <laughs> by helping someone else. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with that because because uh, even though, yeah, it sounds sort of self-centered, it not it isn't really because <clears throat> you are you're contributing to the betterment not only of the other person, but of the relationship as well. Um, you know, the, 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 I guess it talks in about how, uh, you know, when, when two marry, two become one, uh, become a team, if you will, to, to use that analogy. Well, if you can make the one better uh, by giving of self to the other in the two, <laughs> then the one becomes better. Mm -hmm. What do you think uh, the end result, and I, I, I shouldn't really say end result because there is no end game here, uh, but the, um, the resulting effect, shall we say, uh, on our society at large. I mean, I give all the credit into the world, especially to the women who grow up without a husband, with, with an absent husband, and have to raise the kids all by themselves, black or white, colored or, uh, you know, uh, 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 or, or otherwise. doesn't matter what the color of the skin is. It happens to everybody. It seems to happen to all the races. But uh, if we started to go down this road to help to ignite the power of women, what, what is your observation uh, looking into the future, looking into your crystal ball, um, how do you think this world is going to look maybe 10 years down the road, 20, 50? When we ignite the power of women in our life, what it does is we create a healthy society, a whole society, W-H-O-L-E, whole, holistic living. And we create a society of peace where now we can coexist together because it's not about what we're doing, it's about who we are becoming as we are lifting humanity up by our actions, our behaviors, our support, and our belief. So if we were to look 10 years down the road, we have a society that understands that love and respect have no color. When I understand how to do right by humanity, then it becomes healing presence wherever we are. We don't use words that tear each other down we only demonstrate actions that build each other up. And as we build up people, we build communities. As we build communities, we build cities. As we build cities, we build states. And as we build a state, we build healthy nations. Well, we could uh, certainly uh, do for building uh, a healthy nation. Ours, our nation is, uh, I think, on, on one level, it's ailing. You know, there's a little dis-ease. And uh, it would be good mm. if we could could help that out. Um, this is uh, something that I think that uh, folks need to pick up a copy, okay? Get out there and get a copy of this book, uh, the work that this gentleman is doing. His name, his name uh, as we have been telling you throughout the program, is Simon T. Bailey. Ignite the Power of Women in Your Life, a Guide for Men. It is also available through, I'm sure, all of the usual outlets of Amazon and so forth. You can go through Ignite the power of women in your life.com. We hope you'll go there. We will be linked to that website, uh, Simon, so that people can click on that link and then also listen to this uh, conversation that we are having. I, um, I uh, want you to know, folks, that uh, speaking of this conversation, it's happening on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, it's really a pleasure to have you, uh, Simon T. Bailey, on the program sharing with us. Uh, have you uh, other works that, uh, that you have prior to this that sort of go along with this whole aspect of leadership and coaching that people would want to check out? 
Yeah, I've written nine other books, and they can check those books out on Amazon or simontbailey.com. That's where all of our books are listed. Well, we're encouraging, we're encouraging people to go to your website. Uh, I do have three final questions for you. And again, thank you for giving us sure. so much time here on the program. Uh, it's really a pleasure to, to talk with you uh, and get to know you and the work that you're doing. Um, uh, my parents, uh, speaking of which, they went through a program uh, through the Catholic Church called Marriage Encounter. Now, I don't know the reasons why. I don't know if they felt like they were having problems, needed to do it, or just that they wanted to strengthen the relationship that they had. But they went through it. And I remember, I will never forget this, uh, Sam, Simon. They sat us down, all six of us, in the living room, sat down on the couch. They told us what they wanted to do, and they wanted our input. And basically, all of us together said, look, if that's what you want to do, we're fine with that. Go for it. You know, we'll be all right. You know, uh, what is it? Only a couple of days a week, that kind of stuff or whatever it was. It, sure. I don't think it really took away from us as the kids, you know, and, and their parenting. I really don't. So I always looked to them. A matter of fact, in my first marriage, when we were having some challenges, I said, well, let's go talk to my mom and dad. I mean, they had at that time like maybe 20 or 30 years or more of marriage. I figured they've got the experience. Let's talk to them. Let's ask them. It was not an easy conversation, but it was a good one. It was one that needed to be had. And I think this is another one of those. It's not an easy conversation, but it is one that, that needs to be had. So thank you for having it with us here. Yes. Before I, ask, before I ask you those three questions, let me let you know. And thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices. To help make your dreams come true, we're here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We're streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. And we're also on at 9 a.m. on Wednesdays. We are on podcasts at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spider, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. We're also on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. Hope you will do that. We ask that if you can support the work that we are doing here at Tell Me Your Story, uh, where we are, in essence, trying to change the world, little at a time, doing the best we can to bring about new paradigms for a new world. Uh, some of them sound like they're part of the old paradigm, but actually, if they haven't been used, <laughs> then they are not part of the old paradigm. And then also encourage you to uh, go within and spend some time listening to that still small voice, trusting the gut. Uh, and we ask you to do that during this decade of per perfect vision. Oh, and by the way, if you would like to support, we have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours if you'd like to support the work we're doing. With all that said, uh, Samuel T. Bailey is my guest uh, and in his book, we hope you will pick up a copy of it at his website. IgniteThePowerOfWomenInYourLife.com is the website. Ignite the Power of Women in, in Your Life, A Guide for Men is the title of the book. And uh, si Simon, we have three questions that we ask. Uh, they've changed up a little bit here. We're in the 15th year of uh, uh, the work that we're doing. The first of the three questions is, who is Simon T. Bailey? Wow. I am Jody's husband, Halo's Daniel Madison, Chelsea, Ashley, and Madison's uh, father, uh, Mary's son, Dia's brother, and uh, and Courtney and, and Julian. <laughs> and I think uh, probably to sum it up, I just exist to hug people with my words. That's who I am. What is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is I aspire to inspire before I expire. <laughs> I like that. That's very good. Final question. Hope you get the movie reference. What was your best day? <laughs> my best day. Wow. I think my best day. Waking up today, knowing that I would have a moment to have this conversation with you and I would be totally present to this moment just to serve this moment, not thinking about anything else. 
that's that's a good day that to is, serve humanity. That is a good day. Well, uh, Simon T. Bailey, I thank you so much for spending this uh, good day with you and for sharing the information that we have. And uh, look forward to talking with you again down the road to see how things are going and and uh, uh, the lessons that uh, your children have learned and the people around you as well as the lessons that you have learned. And as we continue to grow and change and and evolve, if you will, uh, in this world. Uh, again, I, I appreciate the time. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening.